Let's do it. Lord God, I pray that you'll come in our midst and speak into our hearts and our spirits your word of life without which we perish in Jesus' name. We all wear different hats through life. We have different roles that we play, that we flow through in the course of our life. So I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a bus driver, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a student, and I'm a teacher, and I'm a musician, and um, I'm a young man. For instance, when I go with my parents, my mom's retirement community on a trip to Israel was a fabulous trip. But in that crowd, I was a young man. And when they needed help moving the wheelchairs, call the young guy. On the other hand, when I was playing, um, this is, I've since retired, but when I was playing intercity football, touch, touch football because I don't want to get hit that hard, I was the old guy and they were wondering when I would retire and so I finally did. So I, the same person can be all those things, young and old and husband and father and and a teacher and student, all those things that we think of as different, but it's the same person in each case, right? Who am I is the question we're looking at today. Who am I underneath all those roles that we flow through? The roles change all the time. I can be a husband. What if my wife dies? I haven't changed. I mean, God forbid, you know, but I haven't changed, but I'm not a husband anymore. What is the James, the, the person that's underneath those roles that we flow through. Another way you can think of it is if you look at family photos. We went through a ton of family photos when our kids were getting ready for their graduation party because you want to put them up on the little thing. And so, so think of the... I went and my daughter just turned 21 and I celebrated. She was out of town, so I celebrated by looking at the baby album. And here's this little baby and then a few years later, she's the older sibling and then a few years later, she's the graduate and then, you know, presumably down the line, if you look at, at family photos, that, that young graduate becomes presumably the proud husband or wife or bridesmaid or groomsman. And then a few years later, they become the parent in the photo and there's another little baby. And then a few years later, there's the um, grandparents surrounded by their clan, right? The same person from infancy to grandparenthood. So what is that core person and if your identity is all wrapped up in being one of the stopping points along the way, and that changes, then we have an identity crisis. Who am I? What am I good for? If my worth comes from how I relate to my kids, a good dad, so I get a lot of pleasure in that. I try to be a good dad. And the kids go, then what am I worth? Right? So there's got to be something deeper than that that we draw on for our identity and our self-worth. Something deeper than the roles that we face through. One more uh, personal thing. I was born and raised in Korea. I, my parents were missionaries there. I am actually the third generation of my family born in Korea. My great-great-grandfather went as a pioneer, 1885, about the time they were doing Fort Snelling. My grandpa was on the boat going to Korea. I was born there, I lived there, I grew up there. I was there till I was 18 years old. I've since forgotten a lot of the language. But I was never a Korean. I lived in an American family, American-style house, better or worse. There's, you know, arguments about that stuff. Um, and I went to an English language school, and I came to America, 
And um, the whole time I was in Korea, one of the top pieces of my identity, how I saw myself, how others saw me, was American, a foreigner here. I had, when I was little, I had bright blonde hair. And I'm not kidding, this is right after the Korean War. So crowds would gather and look and try to touch my hair. I felt like a freak. I probably was. And they'd try to, you know, because they'd seen American servicemen. They'd never seen American kids because that was right after the war. And so here I am gathering crowds wherever I go because I'm such an alien and foreigner. And yet, so I come here and I'm an American, right? And they say, where are you from? Well, I'm not Catholic, I'm not Lutheran, I'm not Scandinavian. Can I be Minnesotan? See, the the pieces, the labels don't fit. The identities that we put on ourselves or on each other don't really describe us accurately. And if I take great pride in being an American or I take great pride in not being an American, whatever else, those roles, the values go up and down depending on the context that we're in. So the question again is who am I? Who am I deeper than all of those factors, the environment that we flow through in life? Where do I get my value? Because it can't be on just being what I do. It can't. So my main premise today is that our core identity is defined by our Creator and for our Creator. And everything else in our lives is external and transitional and subject to change. It can be taken away. Everything else. But what can't be taken away is our standing in the sight of the Creator and our fulfillment or non-fulfillment of His purpose for our lives. Where we, find, we cannot find lasting value, lasting affirmation, lasting worth until we're rightly related to our Creator. Paul said, um, I'll just read it, it's 2 Timothy. Of this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because they wanted to kill him and all that stuff. He turned his back on his culture and everything else. Because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him for that day. When we have that kind of grounding, I know whom I have believed. That can take us through all the adversity and the changes that come to us. When we don't have it, then we're just kind of insecure. And without that, we keep trying on different hats or different identities if we don't have that core piece in place, right? So if you're, um, if you're a student, you want to be a better student, and it's never quite good enough because there's someone else smarter in the class. If you're single, you want to get married because maybe that'll fix it. If you're married and you don't have kids, you think, well, maybe if I had kids, that would, that would kind of finally fix it and I'd feel like fulfilled because that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. And then we get a job, and that'll do it, or a career, not just a job anymore, a career, or a promotion, or a house by the lake. And it sort of works. If you're you're in a job that fits, it sort of fits. But it's so incomplete, because there's so much to you that is not that job. Right? It sort of works, but there's this incompleteness. And I believe most of us walk around with this 
sense of hunger or desperate, hidden, incompleteness, desperate longing to belong and to know who we are in God and in Christ and know that we matter no matter what we do. We matter. So we come to our main text today. It's in your bulletins. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. This talks about the um, kind of alienation that we have apart from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who were called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision... Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So let's, put, let's paraphrase a little bit. You who were unchurched or unspiritual, called unspiritual by those who thought they were spiritual, you were far away. You were alienated. You were separate, excluded. These are kind of all the push-off words that, that, that are kind of internally, they're a part of our life. We feel excluded. We feel cut off. We feel separated. We feel like we don't belong. And without hope and without God in the world. But thanks be to God, because it doesn't end there. The text goes on in verse 13, says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, yes, we were cut off from God. Yes, you were once far away. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. God's household. Not just show up. You're not just one of his citizens. You're part of his household. And you're built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You have something to stand on that's not going to move when you change continents. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. My uncle once, he's a um, lifetime pastor, and when I had to leave a previous church, and I was feeling very, very low about it. And um, one of the things that he said to me is, wherever people love God, you'll find friends and family. Wherever people love God, you will find family. Wherever people love God, if you're God's, you will find friends and family. Boy, that's uh, kind of reassuring, because I move around sometimes. You know when they build a new stadium, um, we've got, is it three of them now? Anyway, (laughs) how many do we need? Um, When they build a new stadium, the corporations line up, right? And they want to, they bid on naming rights, right? So we, and they, whoever offers the most money gets their name on the building. So we get Target Center and Excel Center. What's the new one? TCF Stadium. Is there another besides that? Target Center? Target Field, thank you. I knew it was something like that. Um, So they pay big bucks to get naming rights for the stadium. God has the naming rights for your life. God has the naming rights for your life. 
God has the naming rights for your life. He paid big bucks to get the naming rights to your life. No one can outbid God for the naming rights to your life. Only God, my maker, can name me. Only God, my maker, can truly, accurately name who I am, what I am, what I am here for. He is the designer and all the environmental factors that play on me cannot alter the fundamental naming rights that God has over my life. I cannot be retrofitted by environmental factors. They can retrofit maybe my circumstances. They cannot retrofit the design, the designer's name for this product. God has the naming rights for your life and mine. He has them first as your maker, your creator. And then we rebelled. And so he got them back again, bought them back again as your redeemer. So twice over, he's got the naming rights. And in between, we go all over the world doing our own thing and it's kind of mess it up and get go all through those hats. Got to come back to the namer. So I want to go through some scriptures um, that speak about God's names for us and what God has done to name us. Lord God, I pray that as we go through this word that you would speak from heaven by your spirit into the hearts of your people wherever there's an unsettledness or a crisis of hats. Speak into our hearts, God, in Jesus' name. Genesis, creator first. Genesis 2, 6 and 7. The Lord God formed man. You can say fashioned. It's not just thrown together. It's not just a pile of mud and he goes, poke, 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 that'll work. It's carefully fashioned from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So it's not just biology, is it? You're not just an accident that was the sort of fittest creature in the primordial swamp and you crawled out and ate everybody else so you got to carry on. You're not a biological evolutionary accident. God fashioned you and breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. There's a personal, direct, careful craftsmanship. There's an intimacy to breathing into someone's face, into someone's life. And God breathes his breath into our being. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being intricately wrought in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Knit together. When you... um, I don't know if Julie's here. If you're a craft person... You knit, you stitch, you do whatever. It doesn't have to be knitting 
fabric stuff. But if you're a craft person and you make something, there you are. You get to name that, right? And there's a qualitative difference in value between something Julie makes and something I would buy at Target, right? I mean, I can go to Target and I can get this one or this one or this one or this down here and it really makes no real difference. But if Julie made something for me, uh, Gil Gayton made my guitar strap. You know, that's not like something I bought at Guitar Center. I I asked him to put his name on it. Because it's made, handmade for somebody. And God handcrafted you and me. He didn't just throw you together with spare parts. He didn't. You're not an accident. You didn't just happen. You didn't just happen. It's not an accident. you got to know that. Jesus said in John chapter 1, to all who received him, to all who received Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent. There's a whole different quality of life that Jesus wants to speak into your life. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision. We, we waited eight years before we had kids. We're deciding, do we want to bring them into this world or not? human decision. But Jesus is saying not human decision or of a husband's will. The dad didn't just say, we're doing it, hon. No. But born of God. Your life is not a biological accident. It wasn't a oops by your daddy. He might have thought so. She might have thought so. But somebody knows better. Born of God, my friends. Born of God, my friends. Your maker, your creator, knit you together, birthed you into life. And then we've got the Ephesians text again. I'm sorry, a different Ephesians text. Let me go there. Ephesians 1, verse 4. I'm kind of abbreviating a little bit here. He chose us... Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus with accordance with his pleasure and will. It's not like he's just making the best of a bad situation. It's his pleasure and will to adopt you. And he chose you before, the cre- before any of those, before the world was even here, he had you in mind. So it's not like you just happened along and it's he's trying to make the best of something. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. He wants to work his good pleasure in our lives. So again... Not just happenstance, not an accident, not just making the best of something that happened, but you were chosen from the, before the foundation, before he even made the world, before he made Adam, he had us in mind. And he chose us to be here even today because he wants to speak his breath into us even here today. And he wants to name us here today. 
But, you know, we like doing our own thing. And so Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned each one to his own way. And how true that is even when we give our lives to Jesus, then it's a daily battle, at least for me, to say, do I want to obey God or do I want to obey self? And to be honest, God doesn't always win that battle, although I usually regret it when I choose wrong. Daily we choose, will we go his way or our own way? And in um, the Tower of Babel story, we, we don't like God's name. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to build a tower so that we won't be scattered. We won't have to keep trying on these hats because everyone will know what we did. We got a name for ourselves. And that is us. What's your tower? I don't know. But we're busy with mortar and brick and building these things, trying to reach heaven. God's saying, I'm your maker. I'm the one with naming rights to your life. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. We can let Jesus name us. Um, just another aside, and then I'll go on. Um, we and our, I'm a bus driver. Okay, I really am. And um, we have we used to get man buses. They're made in or they're designed in Germany. They're built here. Now we get mostly Gillig buses, American-made, so all the union guys are happy. The mechanics, when they used to talk about man buses, I, you know, I just listened to these guys, and, um, and they'd say, those Germans, they, they, anytime they'd have a problem with a bus, they'd say, they'd call, call man in Germany and say, we've got this problem, and the guys, this is the mechanics perspective, they say, well, we designed it right. If it broke, it's your problem. We designed it right. If it broke, it's your problem. Don't call us about it. Now, contrast Gillig. About every three or four weeks, I see one of the Gillig trucks, pickups, in the garage. And if our mechanics have a problem with the bus, they can call Gillig. Gillig comes over, the manufacturer with the naming rights, comes over and helps fix the problem. Our manufacturer is, is not on another continent. Our manufacturer lives in town, and we can call him up when we have a problem, and he will send help. He knows the product. He knows how to fix it. And we can call. And he will come. Hallelujah. But we went our own way and chose the different designer or our own name. And so we need to be redeemed and bought back. And Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, that you know... You know, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Verse 21, through him you believe in God. I pray you do. Who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope, your identity is in God. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. God has the naming rights. God bought the naming rights back after we sold ourselves out. Revelations 2.17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, see, we don't have to choose God, 
To him who overcomes and chooses God, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. God has a name for you that's only yours. You know, in our family, we recycle names. There's a lot of Johns and Jameses and Horaces. Horaces was a big one. You know, four generations of Horace, it's time to make a change. We recycle names, but God has a stone with a name that's just for you, and no one else has it, and no one else even knows it, but God speaks his name for you into your heart. No other one. There's four billion some people. Only one of those names is yours. So, again in Ephesians, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which he lives, God lives by his spirit. First Peter chapter 2, 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'm going to go to Romans 8. Those who are led, let him speak this into your heart. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear or insecurity, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter too much if I'm wearing my bus driver hat or my pastor hat. I'm an heir with Jesus. And so Psalm 16 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. There's stuff that someone else has a different stone, but the boundary lines for me are good. Pleasant places. I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We don't have to keep changing hats to find security. I've set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. This is true, again, i got to say it again, regardless of the external factors, because 
all of life, everyone else, we're kind of measuring each other against other people. And sometimes we go up, and then we get proud, and sometimes we go down and we get really low. Right? But God's naming is stronger than our parents' naming. And in Psalm 27, he says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You have a dad beyond your dad who will receive you, who will never reject, never forsake, never cast you off, never abuse. You have a father in heaven who will receive you. No accident can take him out. No sin can take him out. You have a father in heaven who will receive you. Your, your parents might forsake you. I didn't know how often that happens till I got here. God will receive you. And Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Isaiah 40, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those whose identity is in the Lord, those whose worth is in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us. And in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. I'm going to read this again. Romans 8:28. You know it, but you've got to hear it in your heart. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called, could I say named, according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And those he predestined, he also called, named, Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And if God is for us, who can be against us? How many ways does God have to say it? I I want to just fire through these, okay? Because he wants us to hear it. Okay. He formed you. He breathed his very breath into your life. He knit you together, intricately fashioned you in your mother's womb. He gave you the right to be children of God, born not of human design, but born of God. He chose you before he made the world. He predestined you for adoption into his family. He redeemed you. He forgave you. He lavished grace on you with wisdom and understanding. He paid for your sins with the precious blood of Jesus. He made a way for you to be born again imperishable. And when you were separate and excluded and foreign and alien, without hope and without God, he made you a fellow citizen with his people and a member of his own household. He built you together into a community of his people to become a dwelling where God lives. 
by his spirit. He made you a living stone, not just a rubble heap, and included you into a spiritual house. He made you acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He made you a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, people who have received mercy. He cast out the spirit of fear and gave you a spirit of sonship and invites you to call him your master, the almighty creation, the creator of the universe, by the intimate call, Abba, Father. So no wonder, like the psalmist said, I'm going to go the one more time, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a delightful inheritance. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. He's promised his spirit to us to help us in our weakness. He promises to work for good in our lives in every circumstance, even the hard ones. And he called you with purpose and foreknowledge and destiny. He called you to be justified and glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he promised us that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many ways does God have to say it? He has the naming rights for you. And we sold them. And he bought them back. Will you let him name you this morning? When Jesus was baptized, um, it says, at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending in a dove, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. When Elijah was going through a bunch of crisis and hard times and he ran away from um, someone who was trying to kill him and he hid in a cave and the Lord came to him in the cave and um, the Lord said to him, this is First Kings, the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. God shows his power first. A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and stood at the mouth of the cave. I don't know if God wants to talk to you by the thunder or the earthquake or the fire or the voice from heaven or the gentle whisper, but I know God wants to name you today. If you haven't heard that name, you need to let him, you need to let that part of you that longs for something higher, you need to open that window. God is here today just as sure as he was there then when Jesus was baptized, just as sure as he was at that cave with Elijah, God is here today, and God wants to speak his name 
his purpose, his identity into your life. Then you don't have to keep changing hats anymore because who you are, what you're worth is settled forever. I'm going to have Norm come or the worship team come and they're going to play quietly. What I want to ask today is that you guys just do it instrumentally for a little while. Is that okay, Norm? And I want to give a benediction, but I don't want you to go when I give the benediction. That's just so, what I want you to do is come (laughs) when I give the benediction. And if you want prayer, I'm just doing the benediction so we're kind of like, you know, when you're through dealing with God, then you can slip out and not feel like you missed that blessing. But I don't want you to leave until he's spoken into your heart his name for you. So they're going to play, and I'm going to give a benediction, and you're invited to just come forward and pray. If you want to pray by yourself, you can do that. Um, and if you want someone to pray with you, I'll ask the prayer team people and elders perhaps to just be ready to see if God leads you to pray with somebody. And we need all the words... I've got to say one other thing. I feel kind of like when I do this stuff, it's kind of like I've got grubby fingers and I get my fingerprints all over an invitation that God has for you. So if I can say, my grubby fingerprints don't mess up the fact that it's him who's giving you the invitation. God wants to talk into your heart today. He wants to name you. And all those other names fall away. It's just hats. I'm going to pray first, then I'll give the benediction, then please come as God leads you. God, we can't make this happen. When we make a name for ourselves, it just, it changes, it gets pulled out, it falls. It doesn't even complete us. So I pray that by your spirit, this very day, this very house, you'll come from heaven by thunder or by fire or by a gentle whisper and you'll speak into the hearts of every heart here, God. Let not one be overlooked. You have a purpose and a calling for each one. I pray that you will name each of those you've called today into their own heart and spirit. God, this is a work of your spirit. We rely on you. Pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Please come as God leads.